Next on BYU Sports Nation, the waves crash in Provo to the tune of 107 points for BYU hoops. What do the Cougars have left for St. Mary's and how will it impact their tournament status? As the big game looms this weekend, we'll be joined by Super Bowl champ and former Cougar Brian Billick. How would a Super Bowl win cement Andy Reid's legacy? Plus, the BYU athletic director has spoken. Tom Homo on why he opts for tough scheduling and his pursuit of Power 5 inclusion. Let's go! This is BYU Sports Nation, brought to you by the BYU Store, simulcast on BYU-TV and BYU-Radio. Now, from Studio B, your hosts, Spencer Linton and Jason Shepard. Friday, this is how we do it. BYU Sports Nation is live, your day-to-day play-by-play in Studio B, presented by the BYU Store, official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. January 31st, I can't believe it's the final day of January. 2020. Here we go. Wherever and however you're connected, great to have you with us. I am Spencer Linton, teamed up with Garden Gnome Destroyer Jason Shepard. That's right. Where is that uh, that chubby Delavadovan gnome? I brought my uh, sledgehammer today. Uh, okay, here here he is. I, I give him to you very carefully. Very carefully. Um, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't throw them across Studio B, okay? Yeah, we, it is a hard floor. This thing, yes. this thing would shatter. If BYU loses to St. Mary's, then maybe you can destroy the Delavadova gnome. Really? We've, we have this. We have this for posterity's sake. If that happens, I get to destroy this. <laughs> it's not going to happen, right? Huh? It's not going to. You're not going to. I thought you said if we beat them. No, if you lose to oh, St. Mary's, I don't want. Then you take out the anger and frustration. Oh, no. I thought you said if I if we beat them. <laughs> Which we're going to beat them. I mean, let's be honest. It's happening. Can we make that the bet? When BYU wins tomorrow, that I get to destroy this garden gnome. <laughs> Why? Because then maybe it's good luck that, that great we, point. we keep right. them yes. in no, Studio no, no, no. B. Great, great point. We need to figure out if this thing is actually lucky for BYU. Okay, On the road, it doesn't work so much. But when they come to Provo, because we had them on the desk, we talked about this. When we put them in on the desk and they came to Provo last year, BYU won that game. True. It's true. You're right. We do not want to do anything that would cause anything negative to happen to BYU. We don't want to disturb the force between the Gales and Cougars in Provo. Yes. Okay? Yes. Unless St. Mary's wins tomorrow, then you can do whatever the heck you want with it. Okay? Sweet. Sweet. <laughs> we'll drop them from the top of the broadcast building. Let's go on top of the Marriott Center. Yeah, we'll do it on Instagram Live. On, the, on top of the Marriott Center. Yeah. Nice. Just chuck it. Nice. Okay. Sweet. We're ha- it's hap- it's, well, that's not happening. We're not losing. We just need safety clearance. Yes. It is safety clearance. Yes. A loaded Friday show as we approach Super Bowl Sunday. Brian Billick, former BYU Cougar, played for the great Lavelle Edwards as a tight end, won a Super Bowl with the Baltimore Ravens as a head coach. What advice would he give to Fred Warner and Daniel Sorensen, this being both of those players' first Super Bowl game and the best of Tom Homo's comments on a very busy Thursday for BYU Athletics with their announcement, the seven-year contract extension with ESPN to broadcast home games at Lavelle Edwards Stadium, and much more. You ready? Let's do this. Bring on the headlines. BYU basketball drops 107 points on Pepperdine last night in a 27-point drubbing of the waves, which takes us to our stat of the day. It's the BYU Sports Nation stat of the day. Breaking the century mark doesn't happen often in conference. In fact, the last time BYU scored 100-plus in a West Coast Conference game, February 11th, 2016, a 102-92 win over USF. 107, Jason. Led by Jake Toulson and his 25 points on 7 of 10 shooting from beyond the arc, including this. 
And the rebound to BYU into a transition triple. Toulson, he got it again! Jake Toulson, five threes, five for six. Once again, he's Jake the make. 17 points for Toulson. Yeah, not only Jake the make, it was the team the make. 17, 17 made three-pointers on 28 attempts. Six BYU players scoring double figures. The Cougars host St. Mary's tomorrow night in a ginormous game. If you're in Provo, show up. If you're not in Provo, yeah, watch the game. But show up if you're in Provo. 10 Eastern, 7 Pacific on ESPN2. Or you can listen to the game as well. You can do that. That's also an option. You can do that. I'm very excited to be able to read this headline. The Kansas City Chiefs host the San Francisco 49ers in (laughs) Super Bowl 54 on Sunday in Miami. Now, do they host because they're the favorite? Sure. Okay. Yes. All right. Exactly. Okay. Chiefs head coach and former Cougar Andy Reid says that this Super Bowl is different than the first one he was in when he was with the Philadelphia Eagles. I don't know if relax is the right thing, but I, I, I've kind of walked uh, in this path before, so um, I know what to expect for the most part. And um, I, I think really the. I think our organization has done a nice job with that, it, like Philadelphia did. But they've they've uh, taken some of that off of my plate, and um, and so I'm able to focus in on the football and and you guys. Kansas City, San Francisco, kicking off in Super Bowl 54 on Sunday at 6:30 p.m. Eastern Time, 3:30 p.m. Pacific. How about BYU women's basketball? They've won six straight games. They avenge an earlier home loss to Portland with a win in the Northwest, 66-54 over the Pilots. Sarah Hampson led BYU with a near triple-double, 14 points, 10 rebounds, 9 blocks. It's tough to get a triple-double when one of those categories is a block category. Well, if anybody's going to do it, it's her. She is a blocking machine. Four players scored in double figures for BYU. Cougars at Gonzaga tomorrow, 5 Eastern, 2 Pacific on the WCC Network. Uh, The Zags are for real. They're ranked in the top 15. Going to be a huge test for BYU. Number two men's volleyball hosts number three UC Santa Barbara tonight and tomorrow at the Smith Fieldhouse in back-to-back home matches. Both teams currently undefeated. You can watch the match tonight at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific on BYU TV. All rise and shout. It's time for What's Trending, presented by Trio Senior Living. You're talking about it, and so are we. It's What's Trending on BYU Sports Nation. Holding steady at that number 10 seed line. Yes, the BYU Cougars are firmly in the NCAA tournament, according to the latest bracketology from ESPN's Joe Lenardi. Currently, Mr. Lenardi has BYU matched up against the University of Arizona, a seven seed. That said, Jason, we enter the February frenzy tomorrow, and... Seeding and positioning really gets interesting when you take on one of the top teams in the West Coast Conference. Here come the Gales. Does BYU's at-large tournament stability, and it is current stability right now, hinge on tomorrow's result? Look, even saying it, I think I'm crazy, but I don't think everything rides on this game. Now, It's a massive game. There's no question about it. And I said this earlier. It's a game I expect BYU to win. It's a game that can help BYU immensely in terms of the postseason. But as far as we've seen so far this year, 
BYU has not dropped significantly with a loss, some of which were much worse than, say, losing to St. Mary's. Now, I think BYU's resume can still withstand a loss, but I don't think BYU's going to have to worry about that. I really like BYU's chances of winning the game tomorrow night. One of the biggest reasons why we saw what they did in Moraga without Yoli. Now you have Yoli back, and this is not the same St. Mary's team that we've seen over the last couple of years. I'm not saying they're not good. Certainly, they're, they're, they're still a very good team. But I, I like BYU's chances being at home. I like having Yoli and adding that dynamic that was not there in the first matchup. So when the Cougars win tomorrow, I think it will strengthen their at-large chances. But if for some reason it does not go BYU's way, just based off of history and the fact that with other losses this year because of their overall strength of schedule and the overall teams they played, they haven't dropped very much. I, I don't know if you get dinged as much as maybe you think for losing to St. Mary's. Again, though, I think it's going to be a moot point because I think the Cougars are going to win. Okay, let's define stability. It is firm ground. It is not moving. You got that base you need. For BYU, it's not a must-win, but if they want stability, they got to beat St. Mary's because if they lose, Jason, I think they are on the bubble. And the bubble, in my opinion, is either one of the last eight teams in or one of the last eight teams out. It's like a 16-team area that we have figured out as this NCAA tournament bracketology has progressed and almost become like a science. There are 16 teams that I feel like are on the bubble. The last eight in, the last eight out. If BYU loses to St. Mary's tomorrow, the Cougars will be one of the final eight teams in the field. Uh, That's just what's going to happen. Also on the line, I believe, is BYU's chance at a single-digit seed line. If BYU doesn't beat St. Mary's, I don't see a path for BYU to get back to single-digit status the rest of the way. And that includes uh, going to Las Vegas and beating St. Mary's in the West Coast Conference Tournament. But BYU would have to probably play on Saturday, Jason, and then again on Monday. So that is also on the line. BYU's chances at being the two-seed and having a double bye into Monday's quarterfinals of the West Coast Conference Tournament probably right on tomorrow night's game. So I I don't know that overall like inclusion in the tournament is on the line tomorrow night, but stability. If BYU loses, they're on the bubble, and they're probably not going to be the number two seed in Las Vegas, which I think is the biggest deal of all. they got to win. Now on to topic number two. And yes, we're still over a month away from March Madness, but this topic was too good to not discuss. Bleacher Report came out with their list of the college basketball teams that had the best chance to be Cinderella in the NCAA tournament. This is great. You want to know who came in at number one? That would be BYU. We're not talking about it if BYU is like, you know, number 30. But BYU came in as number one. The reasoning was... What the Cougars did without Yoli, plus their lethal shooting. And that's the word that they used in the article is lethal. Spencer, are you buying or selling BYU as the NCAA tournament Cinderella favorite? Oh, I want to buy in, Jason. I really do. But I'm not going to because BYU was in this position the last time they were in the NCAA tournament. Do you remember how common a pick BYU was as the 11th seed in Dayton? Oh, they're going to shoot the lights out. They were up 20-plus on Ole Miss in Dayton, and everyone was like, see, BYU's for real as the 11th seed. They're going to go on to the second round. They're going to get to the round of 32. Watch out. They might be a sweet 16 team. And it, and then that crumbled in it the second apart, half against yes. Ole Miss, and BYU didn't get out of Dayton. So I, I almost don't want to jinx this BYU team. I, I understand why they would put BYU at the top of the list because the Cougars 
are shooting the lights out right now. They, the way they're shooting right now, people feel like Gonzaga is going to lose in Provo. Like if BYU does, they shoot the ball the way that they did last night and BYU beats St. Mary's and shoots the ball well, then that Gonzaga game becomes that much more interesting. But I'm not, I'm not buying it right now. I just, I, I don't want to jinx this. I, I just want <laughs> BYU to, too well I want BYU overall. to get into the tournament and just not have to play in Dayton. Is that too much to ask? It's not too much to ask. I, I think I'm with you. I don't think I would say favorite, but I, I think this team is capable of making a run in the NCAA tournament. And what I like best about a piece like this is that BYU is on the radar. And you know how this happens? This happens when you schedule like BYU did. This happens when you go out and you have success. This is what happens when you make headlines with a buzzer beater win at Houston. This is what happens when you beat UCLA and Virginia Tech in one of the prominent tournaments in season. This is what happens. You get recognition. And this is what BYU has done. They have played well enough that they are being noticed. They are playing teams that will get you noticed. And I love that for this fact. BYU's style of play is appealing to watch. That helps. Yeah, yeah. And they have noteworthy wins. This gets people's attention. That's why I love it. I still, I don't know if I'm buying again them being the favorite, but for all those reasons, they are certainly capable of making a run, and I understand why they're on the list for all the reasons I mentioned. Yes, and within that article, they listed BYU almost ending San Diego State's perfect record right. before it even began in yeah. the first game of the season. And the Cougars have shown they can hang with basically anyone. They've played Kansas. They've played Gonzaga. They've played San Diego State very tough. They beat Houston. They beat Virginia Tech. And if BYU beats St. Mary's tomorrow, then maybe I start to buy into it a little bit more. The Gales were number three on that list, by the way. BYU was one. The Gales were three. By the way, St. Mary's 34 in net. BYU 28 as of today. Woo! It's good to be recognized, isn't it? Yes. On to topic three. Speaking of recognition and wanting to be relevant... BYU Athletic Director Tom Homo addressed a number of questions surrounding mostly BYU football, the athletic department, and how BYU stays relevant on the gridiron. Jason, with everything that was discussed from the seven-year contract extension to broadcast at least four BYU home games on ESPN through the year 2026 and the bowl game agreement, what was your biggest takeaway from Tom Holmo and his commentary yesterday, both here in Studio B and with the general media? My takeaway was if you're waiting for the schedules to get easier, you're going to be waiting a long time. That, that's just not the way this is going to go. The model is set. It has been set, and BYU is moving forward with this formula. Uh, the Cougars are going to schedule the best teams they can and then see if they can have one of those special seasons. And, and I'm with you, and the, the topic that you and Jerem had yesterday, I, I agree with you. It wasn't the P5 games that kept BYU from getting to eight, nine, or ten wins last season. It was the G5 losses. It was the losses to South Florida. It was the losses to Toledo, to San Diego State, to Hawaii. Those are the games that BYU didn't show up for. Those are the ones that kept them from having one of those seasons where you're, you could possibly get to double digits. So maybe a schedule like this upcoming season, which I believe is BYU's toughest ever, is exactly what this program needs because it doesn't allow them a week to let up. And eventually, BYU's going to have that season, the season that we are all waiting for, the one where everything clicks. Eventually, BYU's going to have that season. And when everything lines up, that, that's hopefully when the Cougars can take advantage and turn it into something really big. So the model has been set. That was my takeaway. Yeah, the, the reason Tom Holmo schedules 
was the headline for me. Why I schedule tough. If I were putting a headline together, that's what I would put on the front of the BYU Sports Nation newspaper today. And he spoke specifically about the whys in this soundbite. I took some heat with a flippant comment one time saying I could schedule 10 wins. That probably wasn't the smartest thing in the world to say or to remind you of. (laughs) But I just want to kind of go back and help you understand that, that scheduling uh, a schedule like this this year has a purpose. It's intentional. I might not have made it that hard if I could have, but it would, it's maybe the difference between having Missouri on the schedule or having them not on the schedule meant having them come this year. So I would go to Kalani and go, hey, Kalani, you either get Missouri this year or not. And he's like, let's get them. So that's what I'm saying. Um, and I, I don't go after teams that I know we can beat and load up the schedule because people that then the attendance would drop and even this might even if we won 10 or 11 games I think people might be yawning ah to me that says it all and he's 100 right he's 100 right if BYU go to 2011 if BYU scheduled like they did in 2011 when the Cougars last finished with 10 wins and had Idaho and New Mexico State late November and hey, but at least they won ten games and they finished in the coaches poll number twenty-five. Fans, I know as you're one of independents, we're like, maybe this isn't as cool as we thought it was. Like, I, I want I want to play better teams. Yep. I want a better November schedule. Now BYU has that, and I'm starting to hear it's too hard, it's too tough. Well, it's more than just winning games, it's creating interest from week to week, putting fans in the stands. And what if? Yep. They always what if BYU does something special. Yeah, yeah coming more, up. More of Tom Homo on the yeah, way. Yeah, we'll have more from Tom Homo on football scheduling coming up a little bit later on. And up next, Brian Billick, Super Bowl champion coach with the Baltimore Ravens, former BYU Cougar. Why he almost had a panic attack after winning the big game. This is BYU Sports Nation. BYU Sports Nation is presented by the BYU Store the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. BYU basketball looks to make it a home sweep this week as they host St. Mary's tomorrow evening at the Marriott Center. You can tune in to BYU Radio at 9 Eastern time. I'll get you ready for the game with Cougar Pregame Live on BYU Radio. Then Greg Rubel, Mark Durant will have the call of the game beginning at 10 Eastern time. We are live in Studio B with your day-to-day BYU sports play-by-play. Happy Friday. I'm Spencer Linton alongside Jason Shepard, and we are pleased to bring in on the Deseret First Credit Union hotline a Super Bowl champion, Brian Billick, former BYU Cougar and champ of the Super Bowl with the Baltimore Ravens. Coach, welcome back to the program. How are you? Doing great, guys. How are you? We're good. We're just trying to figure out uh, what this week is like for those that are participating in the Super Bowl for the first time. So when you were there for the first time, what was it like? Well, it's like nothing you've ever experienced. And that's really the challenge for the head coach is to make sure the players, you want to get create as much normalcy as you can. Both teams came in on Monday. Monday and Tuesday is just unbelievable in terms of the media and the parties and everything the league has you doing. And you got to kind of hold that at arm's length yet still embrace it. But then Wednesday, that's when your your real task is you get back on the practice field and you try to start to make to make it feel as normal as possible. 
with the pre- you already had the game plan in. You already did that the week before. So now you just got to kind of brush it up, create a certain energy, but you don't want your best your best game to be during the week. You want to hold it till Sunday. So you got to kind of keep the, t- the players, you know, uh, down a little bit. Like, hey, just relax. Uh, but by the time you get to Wednesday and Thursday, and now finally on Friday, it's begun to feel a little bit more normal because you've gotten into your normal practice routine, your meeting routines. Uh, Saturday and Sunday is the tough one. That's the longest two days of your professional life because it just seems like forever for you to get the game. And you got to make sure that the players stay engaged, but you don't want to wear them out with a bunch of extra meat. I mean, coaches fill a love a void. They will fill a vacuum. So you give them extra time, they're going to want to fill it and reinstall the game plan. So you have to make sure your coaches don't wear your players out. Everything in the NFL is designed to get to this point. This is the goal for an opportunity to win the Super Bowl. How did winning that one game for you, how did that impact your life and your career? You know, from a personal standpoint, you'd like to say, you know, look, I'm not, this is, as my mentor, Denny Green, used to tell me, this is what I do. This isn't who I am. But it's hard to separate those two. And you're right, in the NFL, where it is all about the winning and the losing and Super Bowl or non-Super Bowl. I mean, you're, you're either a Super Bowl winning coach or you're not. And, and, and just like this year, uh, regardless of how good a year you have, uh, even the teams in the championship game that can feel good about the years they had, at the end of the day, you're not the Super Bowl champ. And that's unfortunately the way the league kind of looks at it, the way the fans and, and the uh, and the football world looks, looks at it. So, yeah, you, you are very much aware of that line of demarcation in terms of being a Super Bowl champ or not. Brian Billick, Super Bowl winning head coach with us on BYU Sports Nation. We've been talking a lot about Andy Reid's legacy. Does Andy Reid need to win the Super Bowl to validate his coaching legacy in the National Football League? Well, having been built on what I just said, no. Andy's had a tremendous career. 20 years, he's taken two separate teams, two separate quarterbacks to the Super Bowl. His legacy, I think, within the profession is already set. Now, having said that, at the end of the day, you're either a Super Bowl winning coach or you're not. And even though it's not going to change Andy's life, and he's obviously a strong faith-based individual, uh, has his priorities right, professionally, yeah, this is kind of a big deal. And, and to, to have that to crown what has been a tremendous career, it means a lot. Obviously, with the BYU connection is something that a lot of people, especially out here, are paying attention to. Certainly Andy Reid as the former player and, and his connections with BYU, but the players. And, it, and it's funny that BYU historically is, is known for offense, but the two players that are playing in the game are both on the defensive side. What are your thoughts on the play of Daniel Sorensen and Fred Warner for their respective defenses this season? Uh, outstanding. I mean, Sorensen's made maybe some of the biggest plays of the postseason for Kansas City. And you, and you love his story. This is a guy that's kind of bounced around or not really been that, that starter, kind of got pushed into that role because of some injuries. And he's been absolutely brilliant. He's the kind of guy that you absolutely loved as a coach because he was a coach on the field, as cliche as that sounds. Warner is a different category now. This guy has proven to be a very special player. I think his speed at the linebacker position is going to be very, very important for them to match up with the speed of the Kansas city chiefs and specifically 
the talent of, of uh, Travis Kelsey. I imagine Warner's going to see a little bit of matchup with Kelsey. Coach, if you were talking to Dirty Dan, Daniel Sorensen, and Fred Warner, knowing that this is the first Super Bowl game that both of those players will participate in, what's the first bit of advice out of your mouth? Well, I think every uh, player that's been in the game or anybody that's been around it has probably told them that already, which is, hey, you don't know if you're going to be here again. You know, young players, particularly if they've had early success, it's easy to go, well, you know, I'm going to be in a bunch of these. Uh, and you had listen to Dan Marino talk about, I mean, what was this? It's just his second year. And they go to the Super Bowl and he said, gosh, I'm going to beat it to a dozen of these and didn't really fully appreciate just how he did appreciate how special a moment was. He just thought there were going to be a whole bunch more of them. And that's the thing that you've got to relish that guys, this may be the only way you come by way of this game. So you better take advantage of every minute of it, put every amount of focus and concentration into winning this game because this may be your last shot at it. One of the things that's so interesting about this matchup specifically is from an offensive standpoint, both teams can put up points. Now they do it in completely different ways. When you look at this matchup specifically, what's the key matchup that you think will determine the outcome the most? Yeah, and how great is that, that you've got the old school guy, Andy Reid, been at it a long time, He's got the fast break, wide open uh, offensive Patrick Mahomes, and it's the young guy, Kyle Shanahan, that has the old school, you know, two back, two tight end, downhill, pure running attack of the 49ers. Uh, and the <laughs> difference in contrast in the way they do it is, is stunning. Uh, it's going to be an interesting game that way because clearly Kansas City, as dynamic as they are offensively, it's the Michael Jordan comparison of you're not going to stop them. All you can hope to do is contain them. San Francisco. Cisco clearly, with that defense, the running game, special teams, they've got to play that possession game. They need this game to be a tight margin game. They need Kansas City. A lot of people say you can't play zone against Kansas City. Uh, I don't necessarily agree with that. I I think you may, that may be one of the approaches you take because you don't want to go man-to-man to let Kansas City get these 60, 70, 80-yard touchdowns. Make them go 15, 16 play drives if they can. Maybe they stumble. Maybe they settle for a field goal. And now they're chewing up the clock as well because you know San Francisco with its running game will try to chew up the clock. So if they can play that kind of game, then San Francisco – and I was in Miami the first couple days. I'm amazed at how many people are actually picking San Francisco, even though uh, uh, Kansas City in that offense. San Francisco is a better all-around team, but they've got to play a perfect game in all three phases. Kansas City can play bad defensively. But that offense is still capable of, of, you know, digging them out of a hole. Brian Billick on BYU Sports Nation. It is the Friday before the Super Bowl. Okay, let's ask the question. Kansas City's a one-and-a-half-point favorite. Who are you taking in the Super Bowl? Yeah, well, I was doing Radio Row all week, and my, my M.O. is to uh, – I do about 50 radio shows during the course of the week, and half the, half those shows I pick San Francisco and half the shows I pick Kansas City. <laughs> and then on Monday, I only do the shows that I pick the winner. That way <laughs> they, people think I know what I'm talking about. So, uh, you know, it's like I said before, but the fact that it's a one-point spread, one-and-a-half-point spread tells you just how close this game is. Clearly, the offense of Kansas City is something to be accounted for. San Francisco is the, it has the complete team to pull this off. But as I said, they're going to have to be perfect. They're going to have to play their complete game in all three phases 
that's a lot to do. And Kansas City with that offense, it's hard for me to imagine that no matter what happens, that that offense isn't at some point going to bail it out, particularly if it comes down to a one-possession game. I'm amazed at how many people are picking San Francisco. I'm kind of thinking Kansas City, and I'm probably biased because I'd love to see Andy get a Super Bowl. Coach, I need to pick your brain more on how to always be perceived as right in the media. That was an, <laughs> that's an incredible outlook on that. Yeah, that's a, that's that's a, the experience I have at 65 years old. It's you got to play the margin. It makes it tough because with each year, I eliminate half the country that I can do anything with anymore. <laughs> Outstanding stuff. Okay, I want to ask you one more thing before we let you go, and that is. Take us to the final moments when you knew you were going to win the Super Bowl and walk us through what that was like emotionally with uh, the always yeah. interesting Gatorade bath and the, the confetti shower. Like, what's that moment like? It's pretty good. And those Gatorade baths, those are profitable now. You make some money off that because they always want to use it, but they got to pay you for that. So that, <laughs> there's an economic element to this as well. You know, in our Super Bowl, we, by the, by the early in the third quarter, we knew we got them. There was no way the New York Giants were going to be able to come back from the lead and our defense just absolutely stifled. I don't think they crossed the 50-yard line. So it, it, it was different for me in that I basically had a quarter or so to kind of look around and soak it in going, yeah, wow, this is pretty cool. Although I did, I'm glad I didn't do it, but I had one of our managers, uh, equipment managers, I called him over one of our aides, our young guys, uh, and said, look, I want you to go, I want you to empty out all the Gatorade tubs, okay? Because <laughs> it's a little cool here tonight, and I don't want to get that. Fortunately, he didn't do it because, uh, like I said, it's kind of profitable. I will tell you, though, the truth of the matter, okay, so we win the game, and afterwards, phenomenal party, literally goes all night. Uh, and, and in the infinite wisdom of the NFL, they decide that 8 o'clock the next morning that the winning coach should stand in front of the amassed media <laughs> that are all there. And I'm thinking, okay, so about 6 o'clock I leave the party and figure I better go up and get a shower and kind of, you know, freshen myself up for this. And I will tell you, honestly, I get into the shower, and for lack of a better word, I had kind of a panic attack because it was we won it my second year. And I was like, oh, my God, what do we do now? What are the expectations? I mean, you immediately move on to now what are those expectations going forward and can you get back? I mean, um, it, you know, it was great. I loved it, but it was, yeah, it was emotionally overwhelming when it finally settled in. Wow, wow. You earn your money, that's for sure. Goodness gracious. <laughs> Coach, the biggest offseason story in the NFL, as soon as the Super Bowl is done, all attention is going to one Tom Brady. What, what's, your, what's your gut opinion on what happens with him? Does he come back to play next year? And if so, do you think it's in New England? I think he will play. I don't know if he'll be New England. The difficult thing is, is Tom Brady at four. What is he? He's, he's older than I am. Isn't he, isn't he like 71, 72 years old? <laughs> I think he just turned 83. Uh, yeah. He is, when you typically expend the money you have to to get these top quarterbacks, you can amortize a contract that minimizes the cap hit. Tom Brady, one year, two year, you're going to have to give him $35 million a year because he's made it clear, I'm going to get paid. So if you commit those kind of funds over a one- or two-year period of time, regardless of where he is in his career and can he still play, I'm, I'm not going to be the one to say Tom Brady can't play anymore or is over the hill. Um, but the cap hit and what that does to your team, you, you have to be a team that truly feels, okay, we're truly that one player away from going to and winning a Super Bowl. And typically you're not, but a lot of teams will 
convinced themselves they are. And the cap hit and the financial implications, uh, th- this is a big deal. So whether it's New England that brings them back or someone else that signs them, that's a huge part of what they're committing to. Coach, great insight. We always appreciate what you bring to the program, and thanks for taking some time during a very busy Super Bowl week. Sounds good, guys. Brian Billick on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline. Deseret First, you know why, we show how. Okay, that was awesome. Yeah. What a yeah. great interview. Love talking with him. Coming up, former BYU forward and 13-year NBA vet Fred Roberts joins us in Studio B. And BYU Athletic Director Tom Homo on why these tough schedules are so important. Why does he do this? This is BYU Sports Nation. Join us next Wednesday, February 5th, for BYU Sports Nation special football signing day. As the Cougars complete the class of 2020, you can check it out noon Eastern on BYU TV and BYU Radio. Welcome back to the show on a Friday. Super Bowl coming up. Huge weekend for BYU basketball, both the men and women with big games. The men take on St. Mary's, the women against Gonzaga. And that is Jason Shepard, who is now waiting to see if he will be able to destroy the Della Vadova Gnome or not. We're hoping that it survives, right? It could be a big weekend. Okay. My, my hometown team could win the Super Bowl, and I could destroy the Della Vadova Gnome. <laughs> it could be a really, really good but, weekend but, for but me. But really, you don't want to, because that means uh, BYU Yes, again, wins, right? if, if somehow, in a twist of fate, the Della Vadova Gnome actually brings BYU good luck by okay. having it on the set, then by all means, we must do our part. Okay, yes. So let it be known. <laughs> Tweet it out to the masses. We've already spoken a little bit about Tom Holmo and uh, the big day for BYU Athletics, specifically BYU football, yesterday with the announcement that their contract extension with ESPN will continue through 2026 and that BYU now has six years of bowl tie-ins. But it's not just about that. He talked about several things, including the always fun topic of why? Why does he schedule the way he does, Jason? Is it too hard? And he brought up the fact that, yeah, I can go out and schedule 10 wins. In fact, let's take it from him once again. If you missed this soundbite from Tom Homo about why he doesn't just go schedule to win 10 games and why he brings in these power fives. I took some heat with a flippant comment one time saying I could schedule 10 wins. That probably wasn't the smartest thing in the world to say or to remind you of. (laughs) But I just want to kind of go back and help you understand that, that scheduling uh, a schedule like this this year has a purpose. It's intentional. I might not have made it that hard if I could have, but it's maybe the difference between having Missouri on the schedule or having them not on the schedule meant having them come this year. So I would go to Kalani and go, hey, Kalani, you either get Missouri this year or not. And he's like, let's get them. So that's what I'm saying. Um, and I, I don't go after teams that I know we can beat and load up the schedule because people, that, then the attendance would drop. And even, this might, even if we won 10 or 11 games, I think people might be yawning. Okay, Jason. Now there's this understanding or this, I shouldn't say understanding, but more of a, uh, an idea that if BYU scheduled easier, they would automatically win 10 games, right? Like, it seems like it makes sense. But over the last few years, we've seen uh, a growing trend that is a little unsettling. And that is that BYU has not been as good against group of five competition. So what if BYU went out and scheduled 
games, a bunch of games that they're supposed to win in group of five teams, and then BYU went 500 against those group right. of five teams. Okay, now you're finishing with the same record, but you don't have the quality of games, and now it's a double whammy. And, and, and Tom is right, and I said this when we played the soundbite the last time. I'm going to say it again. He's 100% right on what he said. Fans would be livid if the level of teams coming in were subpar throughout the whole season. What would be the reason to come? You know what I mean? Like, like he, said, he talked about them yawning. That he's 100% accurate on that. Fans, fans would not like that at all. No question about it. And sure. along, the, along the same line of thought, Homo was asked if this year made him more hesitant in scheduling tougher games early and then in succession because of all the injuries that happened this year. No, not really, because there's going to be a year where we don't have injuries and we're going to blast it out. And I'm going to be really glad that we had a schedule like that because we'll finish up really strong. And I don't do scheduling based on what could go wrong. Yeah, and I know people will point to the Tyson Williams injury right. against Washington. Zach Wilson got hurt against Toledo. Jaron Hall got hurt against South Florida and Utah State. It's football in general. I, I don't buy into, unless you're playing in Alabama every week or Tennessee. Is that or possible? Alabama SEC every week? team, like a, a physical, physical team every week. Football is physical, period. So yeah. I, I, don't, I don't. You can never plan on that stuff. Yeah. You, well, you just can't. And why? So I, 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 don't, I see why he says, like, I'm not going to plan on, well, what could go wrong if we do this? It's more about we have a chance to get this game. If we don't do it, we're not going to get them at all. Yep. Okay, so let's do it. All right, let's keep things, uh, things rolling. Because Tom Homo was, not surprisingly, asked once again, well, what's the status of the Notre Dame situation? The Fighting Irish still owe BYU a return game in Provo, but it's not as simple as that. And uh, we think it'll happen at some point. Tom does. Listen to this. But I, I think one of the things that we're looking at right now, realistically, because I think that as we move down the road and things change at time for time to time, we have a home, they owe us a home football game. Um, we've had a, a couple discussions about making that a neutral football game, where now we would be the home game of that, um, but it would be a neutral game. And it's interesting that, you know, they're, they're intrigued by that, and, uh, but we can't really agree on where that <laughs> neutral game would be played. So the saga continues. Okay, so I take away from all that, Jason, that they want to make the game happen. Notre Dame doesn't yeah. want to pay to get out of it. They just want it at the neutral site of their yeah, choosing. Yeah, and, and that, that, that's, not, that's not great for BYU. BYU was promised a home game. Notre Dame needs to come to Provo. That's what needs to happen. If it's not Provo, Vegas. Okay, I would take Vegas. If it's not Provo, let's go to Orem. How about that? Can we <laughs> agree on Orem? Yes? Look, and at the, the bottom line for all this, and Tom talked about this, it all boils down to keeping BYU football relevant. I think that this is what the BYU football program needs, and that's what I'm trying to make happen, is that we, become, we stay relevant in the world of college football. Our fans have expectations. Our supporters have expectations. And it's not, um, just, it's not just to win games. Okay, it's not just to win games, but it's to be an entertaining product and yeah. keep people in the stands and have uh, an interesting conversation week to week. It's the bowl game every week mentality. But again, there's always the, 
Well, what if? Yeah. What if BYU wins nine plus games against these tough yes. schedules? And that's when that's when you have those seasons where bigger things could be possible. And that's what you're that's what you're hoping for. Coming up, our and one pick recaps plus our picks for tomorrow against St. Mary's. Uh yes. Oh, and have you heard it's Super Bowl week? I have heard. Fred Roberts is going to join us as well, former BYU basketball great. What does he think about the current state of BYU basketball under Mark Pope? BYU Sports Nation is presented by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. Friday night, we have two versus three. That would be tonight in men's volleyball on BYU TV is the nation's leading scorer, Gabby Garcia-Fernandez, and the Cougars host UC Santa Barbara at 9 Eastern time. Loaded Friday show continues with former NBA basketball legend, if I can call him that, star at BYU, Fred Roberts. He's not going to stop us. Fred, yes. Let's just start with the legendary status of the NBA. How does it feel to be a legend? Oh, a legend. <laughs> well, I, you know, I'm just... <laughs> I wish I would have been a bigger legend, but uh, I, I'm happy. I'm healthy. I'm still able to make a jump shot occasionally. It's been fun. We we had you in the studio, and we need to get a shot. We we have this picture uh, on, on our set that that is quite the. I don't want to say relic. That's not the right word. But uh, you were taking close, paying close attention to this this picture. What what are your thoughts on this picture that? Uh, the, the boys from the, BYU. Yeah, the boys, boys from, BYU. from BYU from back in the day. Well, that was going to be our big moneymaker. Or I think Devin. Devin's a big moneymaker. You know, he had this idea. That we, and it was kind of nice because we all had uh, made it to the NBA. And so we thought, well, let's, let's do something special. And Devin had that idea, and he put us together. And uh, it's quite the picture, isn't it? Yeah, this is. I've got about 200 in my basement. <laughs> You've got 200 of these in your not, basement. Not framed. <laughs> yeah, this is this is the this is the picture, uh, and we ought to get. We had, if you've got some of these, we ought to get these signed. Get Fred Roberts signed picture of these. Absolutely. Great. This would be guy. awesome. Devin Durant, Danny Ainge. Guess make we're it styling happen. back in I only oh, have one question, we're... Fred. Why, why a red tie? That is a great point. It's a great question. Well, Kite's got one, too. That's probably the only tie I had. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and we thought, you know, hey, the only one who went on a mission was Devin. And so I think the rest of us just said, hey, let's dress up like we could have been missionaries. <laughs> That's Fred Roberts stuff. with us in studio B on BYU Sports Nation. Uh, during the break, when you came in here earlier, we were talking about differences in the game. Uh, how have things progressed and changed the most from the time you played basketball at BYU and in the NBA, for that matter, to how the game is now? It, it's a big change. Uh, it's changed more than I ever thought it would. And I'm watching, me, watching our games, looking back at that, I just think, whoa, we, we didn't move around very much. And... The shooting, everybody can shoot now. Uh, when they put that three-point line, it, it, when they first did it, I remember Daryl Griffith, uh, he um, led the NBA in three-point shots. I think he sh- took like 90. That's crazy. I think, yeah, now you know everybody on the team shooting 90 a year, you know. and uh, So that's changed the game com- completely, the three-point shot, where they're looking at it like, you know, we can get three compared to two shot points, and so... When I first when I first made the change, I'd go watch a game and says hey, they go in for a layup and they throw it out to the three point line and I, I I didn't understand it but they say you score more that way <laughs> so 
guy like me, if I took a shot outside the uh, free throw line, I would have been, the coach would have kind of, and maybe get and take it now. But these days, everybody's shooting that three point, and everybody's so physical. The conditioning, the training is uh, incredible compared to what we had. The shoes, our shoes were like wearing boots compared to what they, these guys. <laughs> you know, I, I would look at their shoes like, I know I could have dunked it if I could have worn those shoes. I just know it. What have been your overall impressions of this year's BYU basketball team and the, and the job that Coach Pope and his staff have done coming in? Well, don't want <laughs> I've, I've, for five years, I just felt like there has not been any enthusiasm, any passion on the bench uh, here at BYU, and the players feel that. You know, they just you just kind of get into this feeling of just the way it is, and all of a sudden you get a guy come here who come in who wants to put some energy into it and some passion into it. And the players feed off. They they got good players. Uh, they got a good system. Um, Mark brings in a good system. Uh, brings you got shooters. Uh, you guys who want to run the run the floor, but yeah, I think the biggest thing is they've got a system that they believe in. They got a coach who believes in it, and they're going to be uh, engaged, aggressive. You know, a, the Pope, he's an all-in guy. You know, he's not going to stand back and say, "Okay, here we go. Good luck out there tonight, guys." No, he is that guy's putting his putting his heart into it for sure. And you just and the players know it. It makes a difference on the court. You played on arguably the greatest BYU basketball team ever assembled in the early 80s. And, uh, I mean, the Elite Eight, it was an incredible run for BYU basketball, farthest have ever gone in the NCAA tournament. What was it about that team that made it so special that maybe these teams that are playing now can learn from? Well, I think, again, we had a, uh, we believed in our system. We believed uh, in each other. We believed in our plan. We had a guy like Danny Ainge who um, – had the temperament, the personality. When we walked out on the floor, we, he kind of – we belong. You know, uh, and I don't know if I would have been that way. I, I, I knew I'd just go out there and I was going to play hard and get after it. But Danny gave us that little boost that said, hey, we belong here, and I'm, I'm kind of just as more special than anybody else, and, and we're going to win. And I, I think that kind of lifted everybody else. Uh, and we had good players. We had good size. We had uh, a coach who, who prepared us well for the games, and we knew that uh, if the game was going to be was close, you know, Danny could f- find a way to uh, win the game for it. He'll make a big shot, or he'll get us a big shot. He'll make free throws. We made our free throws, um, and we just kind of things really came together well for us that year. It was it, it was. A great fun year for sure. As as a as a big man and a guy that's played at the next level, you're perfect to be able to talk about this. Yoli Childs came back for his senior year, looking to prepare just a little bit more to play uh, beyond college. What what do you look at as Yoli's future in basketball? What what do you think is possible for him? Because he there's no question about it, about it. He is he is an unbelievable talent. He is, and I, you know, the the question for me has always been his size. You know, he's kind of a, but he plays big. He plays big, but he doesn't have seven foot or six foot ten, six foot eleven uh, size. But I can, I kind of compare him to uh, Al Horford, mm-hmm. who's playing with uh, Philly now, right? Yep, Philadelphia. And then um, I remember his name this morning. The kid at Denver who played here at the. Um, Millsap. Millsap, Paul Millsap. That's kind of who he is. Who he can make. Yoli can make shots. He's going to rebound. He plays hard. 
He's got good skills, uh, and I think professional teams are going to look at him and say, he works his game. You can tell that he he works his craft and he becomes uh, – he's a skilled player who works on it and does what he has to do. He can make the long shot. Um, the only thing is the question they might have, can he play defense out on the floor? But I, I feel like a guy like – because he's so athletic – I think he can transition into that, but I th- that's the kind of guy he needs to be as a Millsap or a uh, Al Horford, and those two are those are two great players. Fantastic NBA players. Fred, it's great to catch up with you. I can't I can't believe we waited this long to do this. Come well, back and talk with us again soon, huh? That's what you say every time. <laughs> it's great fun, great being with you guys. Thanks for joining us. Coming up, our rise and shout-outs, essentially a pep talk, if you will, for the upcoming Super Bowl. This is BYU Sports Nation. Welcome back to BYU Sports Nation. Subscribe, rate, and review the show wherever you get your podcasts. Show always available anytime on demand via the BYU TV and BYU radio apps. Look for our And One Picks online, Twitter, and Instagram. And follow BYU Sports Nation on the Twitter machine and Instagram. Hashtag BYUSN whenever you would like to join the conversation. All right, Jason, our question of the day, which BYU athlete, current or former, will have the best weekend because it is a huge weekend? Elite Voice of the Day presented by Sundance Mountain Resort. Jake R. Kemp on Twitter says, Sir Andrew Walter Reed shall lead his men into battle and emerge victorious, thus cementing and securing his place in the castle of Canton. I like it. I like it a lot. All right, it's time for our rise and shout-outs. I am going to give my guy Daniel Sorensen a pep talk. Daniel, you've put in the work. You've got the team there. You've got the better team. You're going to Miami. You're winning the Super Bowl. I believe in you, and I'll be cheering from my couch coming up on Sunday. Go Chiefs. His nickname is Dirty Dan. My uh, shout-out goes to Fessy Satake and his commitment to Little Caesars Pizza, who has now yeah. started, started to deliver yeah. the, the epic stuff. If you want to read the whole thing, check it out on our BYU Sports Nation Twitter account. Our thanks to today's guests, Brian Billick and Fred Roberts. Yeah, join us on social media. Don't forget, use the hashtag BYUSN. For Jason, I am Spencer. Shout-out to Larry Chessman. Nice. Go Chiefs and 49ers? Just Chiefs.